0: All right, let's take our Bibles this morning. Deuteronomy chapter four. Deuteronomy chapter four. This morning, we're going to be beginning, uh, reading in verse twenty-four. Another announcement I want to get out there. This is a big deal to me, uh, men. We're having our stakeout on June twenty-fourth. It'll be from I believe twelve to three. Uh, the exact times are in the bulletin. I'm going off the top of my head there. We're going to be having gigantic stakes, and we'll have a tug of war competition. There are going to be skits. There's going to be preaching. It's going to be a wonderful time, so you'll want to uh, be involved in that. We're even going to have a meat-eating contest to see which man can put down the most meat. And so bring your appetites. Listen, you ladies, you get out, you get up there and you have your little activities and you spend like 14 and a half hours decorating. We just throw up some tables and get some napkins and, and we eat meat. And that's good enough for us. So um, there will be no decorations, I can promise you that. Just a lot of meat so bring your appetites you can sign up for the back uh, in the back for that It'll be ten dollars a person you're welcome to bring your children uh, your boys that is and uh, there'll be hot dogs available if if the steak if they're not man enough to handle the steak amen so um, and if you're not man enough to handle the steak there'll be hot dogs for you too and I'll try not to pick on you but I can't promise let's stand for the reading of God's word Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to be reading responsively from verse 24 down through verse 29. I'll read the even verses by myself. We'll read the odd verses out loud and together. The Bible says, beginning of verse 24, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God, when thou shalt beget children and children's children, and ye shall have remained long in the land, and shall corrupt yourselves, and make a graven image, or the likeness of any kind, and shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God, to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land, whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days unto it, but shall utterly be destroyed. And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and ye shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him, if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. This morning I want to preach a sermon entitled this, What a Jealous God We Serve. Let's pray. God, I pray this as we turn our attention to uh, an attribute of you that's not talked about a whole lot. Lord, an attribute of you that it really is looked down and most most of the time is a negative thing. Lord, I pray you'd help us to see through the message today just how much you love us. And just how much you want us to be faithful to you. How much you want us to ignore the, the uh, glitz and glamour of the world. And uh, Lord, uh, how much you value that relationship with us. I pray that that truth would be seared down on our hearts today. And Lord, I pray that you'd give me clarity of mind. I pray that I would preach exactly what you'd want me to preach. And Lord, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. Lord, I pray that people would see salvation uh, through the message today. Lord, I pray that you'd also anoint the ears and hearts of the listeners. And Lord, uh, may uh, may people listen intently. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. For many years, back when the British Empire was ruling the world, the literary head uh, for for a long, long time was Sir Walter Scott. No one could write as well as he then the works of Lord Byron uh, began to appear, and their greatness was immediately evident. There was a, a, an anonymous critic that took to a London paper and began to praise Lord Byron uh, and just just heap down praise and compliments upon him. Soon, this anonymous critic uh, declared that in the presence of these brilliant works of poetic genius, Scott. Lord Byron's rather uh, Lord Scott could no longer be considered Sir Walter Scott could no longer be considered the leading poet of England. And this read much like a tabloid would today. People were shocked. How could someone dare throw Sir Walter Scott down and lift Lord Byron up? Later, however, it was discovered that this anonymous critic, this unnamed reviewer was no one other than Sir Walter Scott. Sir Walter Scott there is a distinction between jealousy and envy. And it's very important that in the introduction this morning, you understand the difference between jealousy and envy. To envy is to want something that belongs to someone else. That's envy. Another word for that could be covet. Okay, You see something someone else has and you want it. Maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's an attribute they have. You look at someone and say, man, they are a gifted public speaker, and I can't even stand in front of my own family and speak. And I wish I had what they had. That's envy. That's wrong. The Bible says that we're not to envy. Uh, You look at someone else who drives a nicer car than you, or lives in a bigger house than you, or wears nicer clothes than you do, and you want those things. That's envy. Someone uh, has not wrecked and ruined their lives with poor decision making. And you look back and you see a lot of regrets. And you wish that you had walked a different path that someone else walked. And you wish you had what they had. That's envy. Contrast that with jealousy. Where envy wants something that belongs to another person, jealousy is the fear that something which we possess will be taken away by another person. You have something that's valuable to you. You have something that you've invested in. You have something you care greatly for. Or maybe there's someone you greatly care for and there is this jealousy that sets in because you become fearful that an outside force is going to come and take it from you. So there's envy and there's jealousy. Let me say this morning that God is not envious of Satan and his army. There is nothing that Satan has that God wants. Satan Satan is all about pulling down God. Satan hates God. Satan wants to destroy the reputation and name of God. Satan wants what God has. Satan is envious of God. You might remember in the book of Isaiah, I believe it is that that we get the account of Lucifer who wanted to ascend his throne above the highest and be like the Most High God. He was envious of something that God had, and he conspired. He there was a mutiny that was tried, and God took Satan and he threw him out of heaven. And ever since then, Satan has been envious of God. God is not envious of Satan, but at times, I will say this, God is jealous. God is jealous towards Satan. Because He looks at Satan in His attempt to try to get your heart and my heart away from Him, and God looks at this outside force that's trying to steal our affection, and He becomes jealous toward Satan and his enemies. That's why over and over again in the Bible, God, the Bible says that God is a... Jealous God. Have you ever felt jealousy in your heart? Ever at any point? Maybe uh, you felt, whether it was just perceived or accurate, you felt as though someone was trying to take your spouse away from you. Someone was trying to flirt with your spouse and leave them away. And this severe jealousy sat in your heart. And I will say this morning that jealousy is a powerful emotion. It's a powerful emotion. It's one of the most powerful emotions. It causes wrath and anger and rage to be poured out both on the seducer and on the person that is being seduced. It causes uh, great harm and hurt to a relationship, especially if the jealousy that's being felt is not accurate in its account. Can I say this morning that when God is jealous, God is always right to be jealous. He's always right. God doesn't feel jealousy unless that jealousy is for good cause. God uh, looks down at you and I and He sees that we're flirting with the world and we're flirting with sin and we're not giving Him the love that we ought to. And God begins to feel very, very jealous toward uh, toward us and for us. And He does not want an outside force to pull us away from his hands this morning I propose that Satan is an expert of selling a bill of goods to buy our affection away from God's perfect love. Satan has no desire to bless you. Satan has no desire to reward you if you come to him and you fall into his traps. Satan wants to get to God by pulling you down with his sin. Satan is envious of God, which in turn causes God at times to be jealous on our behalf of Satan or at Satan. This morning, let's look at four thoughts about the jealousy of God on this topic of what a jealous God we serve. Point number one of the message, I encourage you to take notes, grab a pen, find a piece of paper. The notes will be up there on the screen. You can jot them down. Point number one is this, the cause of God's jealousy. You say, Pastor, why is God a jealous God? What causes God to feel and express such jealousy? Well, notice first of all, letter A, He created us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24 there with me. The Bible says there, for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire and even a jealous God. Now, when we read this verse, the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God, we cannot see uh, anywhere in here where it talks about God being a Creator. But if you notice, you have two names for God found in this verse. There's the word Lord, which is the Hebrew word Yahweh. And then there is the word God, which is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim. The name of God, Elohim, means God, Judge, Creator. God judge Creator. By the way, let me uh, let me just slip this in here. This isn't necessarily part of the sermon, but I think this is really really good. Those that look up the heaven and uh, toward the heavens and say, "You have no right to judge me. I will live my life how I want." Do you know why God is qualified to judge us? Because He created us. Because He created us. By the way. Do you know why people do away with God? Because they don't want Him to judge them. Everybody in the very bare basics of our being can understand that if God created you, then He has the right to judge you. Here in this verse uh, uh, 24, For the Lord, Yahweh, thy God, Creator, judge is a consuming fire. Even a jealous God. Why is it that God is jealous for us? It is because He, he created us. Turn in your Bible over to Isaiah chapter 43. You're going to hold your place in Deuteronomy 4. While we're in point 1, we're going to go back and forth between Deuteronomy 4 and Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43 is a great great chapter in the Bible. I remember as a young man, uh, I was, um, I believe, a, a senior in high school, and my father had asked me to preach in high school chapel in, in the uh, Christian school that uh, we, uh, we were at. My father was a school administrator, and I told him I would, but I, I had been reading my Bible, and reading my Bible, and reading my Bible, and I was reading through Isaiah at the time, and I just couldn't find anything to preach on that I felt was relevant, and I remember late one night, it had to have been 11, 11.30, sitting there at the, at the kitchen table uh, on Mace Avenue in Essex, Maryland, I remember sitting there and praying to God. I said, God, if I can't find something from your word tonight, I'm just going to tell my dad that I can't preach in chapel. And I read Isaiah 43 and I wept over this chapter. What a beautiful chapter in the word of God. And God here so eloquently through the hand of Isaiah tells the Israelites, I love you, why are you ignoring me? And does it in such a poetic way. Look at verse 1, Isaiah 43. But now, thus saith the Lord that created thee, that created thee, O Jacob, and He that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. What was he saying here in this verse? He was saying, I created you. Now, that might sound cold. It might sound aloof from a distance. I created you. But then he goes a little bit deeper and he says, not only did I create you, but I I formed you. I formed you. You see, it's one thing for God to step out on nothing and with His voice create trees. And birds and fish and animals, God could have just as uh, as coldly looked down and created man, but He didn't. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came down to Earth together. The three of them stood over a dirt. And they took that dirt and they began to form it and and, and mold it and create it. And then after the exterior, the shell of a man was there, God, the, the, the Son and God the Spirit put inside of that, formed a flesh, a soul and a spirit, and the Trinity of God made a triune being in man. There was a lot of time and effort and thought that went into that. God looks down at you and I, and you know what He sees? He sees a creation. Not only does He see His creation, He sees individuals that He took the time to form. Every part of your DNA, God specifically chose. God created you. You say, I don't like the nose on my face. God put that nose on your face. You say, I I don't like my receding hairline. And that I say, Amen. But God gave you, or I, uh, as it applies, a receding hairline. You say, I'm short! I wish I was tall! I'm tall! I wish I was short! God made you exactly the way He wanted to. God took the time to form each and every one of us here today. And everyone that's ever lived, and everyone that is alive. Everyone that will live. God created you. Why is God a jealous God? He's a jealous God because in part, He took the time... To create you. You know, you think you know yourself pretty well. And truthfully, there's probably no one that knows you better than you do. Except God. God does. He loves you. He took the time to create you. Letter B, notice He he cleanses us. He cleanses. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in verse twenty-three, look there with me, if you would. Again, we're flipping back between Deuteronomy four and Isaiah forty-three. Deuteronomy four twenty-three says, "Take heed unto yourselves; notice it says, lest ye forget the covenant, the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and uh, make you a graven image or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee." Back in Genesis chapter twelve, we find the story of a God telling Abram. There, He was called to pick up his things and to leave the land of Ur and to go to a place that he would be showed. And along that journey in Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15, as he travels, you see at times where Abraham begins to doubt about whether or not he should be on this journey, whether or not God's going to come through for him. And one day God lays animals down, or has animals laid down on the path, and the Spirit of the Lord moves between those animals, and God promises, makes a covenant with Abraham that that he will be the Father of many, many nations. And He would be the Father of a great people in the Israelites. And God made a covenant and God kept that covenant. But can I tell you that that's not the only covenant with mankind that God made. And it's not the only covenant God made to Israel. You see, God promised Adam and Eve that through their seed, there would be born a son. And that woman, that woman's heel would crush the head of the serpent. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, would hang on the cross. You know, if you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you have taken Him up on that covenant. He's cleansed you. He's cleansed you. I once was lost in sin, and Jesus took me in. He washed away my sin. He took it all away. You know, I'm I'm still a frail human being with sinful desires. And the truth is, so are you. But when God looks at my eternal account, He doesn't see my sins. He sees the blood of Jesus that's washed away those sins. He's cleansed me. He's cleansed me. You say, Pastor, I don't know that God's ever cleansed me. I don't know that that's ever happened. Listen, the Bible tells us in John 3 that we're condemned already. We're condemned already. You are born into this world a child of the world, a child of the devil. Your father is the devil and you're part of a kingdom of lies and you're headed down a path to hell along with the rest of the population of mankind. The Bible says that straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leadeth to life eternal and few there be that find it. You say, how do I find that path? How do I have my soul cleansed? How do I have my sins Forgiven, you must turn and you must look up at the cross where Jesus hung and died and you must believe that He not only became your sins, but He endured, He absorbed the wrath of God in His flesh and He took your hell on the cross. And then you must kneel and by faith you must accept that He is your only path to heaven. April 8th, 1988, as a young man, I sat on the front pew of a church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And I bowed my head and I put my faith and trust in Christ as a four-year-old boy. And the Lord Jesus Christ came in and He washed away my sins. The Holy Spirit took up residence in my heart. And that day, I became a child of God. A child of the King. If you're here today and you've never done that, you need to do that before you leave today. You need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ so that your sins can be forgiven. You see, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be up to God in the sense of God's going to look at you and make a decision on the spot whether you should go to heaven or hell. No, my friend, the decision will already be made. You make that decision while you're here on planet earth. You've got to decide whether you want Jesus to be your Redeemer Or you want to try to get there on your own. And my friend, if you try to get to heaven on your own through your good works, you're going to walk up to God and God's going to look at you and say, Denied. He's going to look at you and say, Your sins are before me. I cannot let that sin into my heaven. And He's going to send you to hell. You say, How do I get my sins forgiven? You bow your head and through faith you pray and you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. I believe that most of you here today have done that. Can I tell you today why God's a jealous God? Because He's forgiven you of your sin, but you just keep running right back to it. I think of the Israelites living in Egypt, slaves in Egypt, just like we're slaves of sin before we're saved. And what happens is Moses comes in and delivers them and walks them through the what do you walk them through? Through the what what sea do they walk through? The Red Sea. There you go. How many didn't get your coffee this morning? Walks them through the Red Sea. Isn't it neat that it's called the Red Sea, just like the blood of Jesus? We walk through the blood of Jesus and our sins are washed away. They walked through the Red Sea and they left that bondage behind. Into the wilderness they came and what did they do? For 40 years they walked through the wilderness and they kept turning around and looking back and saying, We want slavery! They were free! They kept looking back and saying, We want slavery! And Christians, they get through the blood of Jesus. They get those sins washed off their eternal account. And they get away from the slavery of sin. And they turn back and they say, I want my sin. And God says, why? Why do you want it? I cleanse that away from you. I want my TV shows. I want my movies. I want my, I, I, I want my, my, my sinful lifestyle. I want my alcohol. I want my drugs. I want I want my language. I want to live like the world. I want this Christian liberty. What we're saying is, God, you're not good enough for me. You're not good enough for me. And God says, hold on a minute here. Why are you going back and flirting with my enemy when I saved you from that? Listen, He's cleansed us. Isaiah 43, look back at verse 1. Here, uh, God finds Israel as... Though, as His bride, God finds Israel living with the devil, and living with sin, to use that analogy, and definitely flirting with and being enamored, courted by sin. And here God speaks through Isaiah in verse 1. Look at the second half of the verse there. It says, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Look down at verse number 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides Me, there is no Savior. There is no Savior. Look down to verse 14. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, your Redeemer. Look down at verse 25, and here he gets very descriptive. I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not, will not remember thy sins. God says, I have blotted them out. Think of it this way. It's as though God had written down their sins at one point. In ink. And it couldn't be erased. So instead of erasing it, He took another heavy pen and He went in and He put ink blots over the top so it couldn't be read. He blotted out the iniquities. He said, on your eternal account, I have blotted out your iniquities. I am your only Savior. I am your Redeemer. Listen, don't turn and go back to the world. He created us. He cleanses us. Let her see. He cares for us. You're in Isaiah 43 there. Look at verse number 18. I love this right here. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing. So we see the old things. And here we see the new things. Now, uh, Verse 19, Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls. Behold, I give water to the wilderness and rivers to the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. God says, listen, here's why I'm jealous. It's not just because of what I did for you. It's not like I forgave you and then I forgot about you. He says, no, I forgave you and every day I poured out blessing after blessing, after blessing, he said, I give you water in the desert, I bring new waters to you uh, elsewhere in the, in the chapter, it says, I will never let the waters overtake me when you 're walking through a tough time. God says, I care for you, I care for you. I remember um, a moment of jealousy with my dad when I was a, a teenager um, My dad uh, didn't really have much of a father figure growing up. His dad had committed suicide when he was a young man, and he grew up without a father uh, for the most part. And so uh, my father got saved at the age of 14 or 15 and really began to grow in the Lord. By the age of 18, he went off to a Bible college and and he met my mom. And my dad is a survivor in a lot of senses. Um, his, His family didn't disown him but didn't understand his religion. My father was trying to learn how to do parenting the Christian way all on his own. All on his own. Some of you here share that same testimony, don't you? And um, my dad did an excellent job considering. Um, did a great job. But my father, I remember a moment of jealousy that he had toward me. We'd gone off, I was probably 12 years old, we, I, I, we'd gone off to a Christian camp and the preaching that night was just extra good. The Lord was really working on my heart. And we came down at the time for the invitation and the uh the speaker invited the counselors from the various churches to stand across the front so that the young people could come and get hold of the counselor and they could pray and make a decision for the Lord with that counselor. My father and my youth pastor were both standing down front. The invitation came and the Lord's moved in my heart and, and I went forward and I looked at my dad and I chose the youth pastor. And that just crushed my dad. Just crushed him. And I, I, I think I think now he understands that, listen, sometimes when you're growing up in a home, you you don't want to bear all your problems to your your parent. You you want to go to someone else. And some of you who are second-generation Christians, you're not along with me because you understand that. My father wasn't a second-generation Christian. He was a first-generation Christian. But I remember years later my dad telling me how much that just crushed him. You know, that youth pastor was a good man. But I, I believe sometimes as Christians, we're faced with walking with God... Or doing something that is more sinful in nature. We look up at God, thinking about walking with Him, and then we choose to do something else. I will never forget the look in my dad's eye that day. And I feel like sometimes God looks down at us the same way. What? Listen, it wasn't Satan that woke you up this morning. It was me. It wasn't Satan that provided you the air to breathe today. It was me wasn't Satan that gave you the muscles in your body to go out and and work a job and bring in a check. It was me. It wasn't Satan that uh, allowed your boss to be nice to you and give you that bonus. That was me. That was me. I'm the one that provides for you. Why don't you give back to me? He cares for us. Number one uh, of the message today, we see the cause of God's jealousy. Number two, we see the competition for our affection. The competition... For our affection. The Bible says that, or rather, uh, uh, if there is no threat to a relationship, then there is no jealousy. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you here today have dealt with jealousy in your marriage relationship. How, how many of you have dealt with jealousy? I will ask this. How many of you have dealt with jealousy in some kind of relationship at some point in your life? Will you raise your hand? Alright, that's it. That's it. Some sort of jealousy, whether you were jealous or someone was jealous because they felt as though you were not right in, in path, okay? Uh, I, I shared one with, about my dad. I, I, you know, I think we probably all have. If, if not, you will and you'll understand just how intense jealousy can be. But I will say this, is that if there is no threat to a relationship or a perceived threat, then there's no reason to be jealous, if you're married here today and, and, sir, you mind your P's and Q's and you're not talking with gals that you're not married to too often, you're not uh, being flirtatious with them, there's no reason for jealousy. There's none. Uh, men, let me just say this uh, while we're on that point. Be accountable to your spouse. Be accountable. Make sure they can go through your phone whenever they want. Make sure that uh, they know where you're at throughout the day and they know what you're doing. Uh, 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 lady, uh, ma'am, be accountable to your husband. Make sure they know what you're doing. Uh, I, my wife and I, our smartphones allow her to be able to see where I'm at at all times and I can see where she is at all times sitting over here. And, uh, and, and we do that on purpose. Uh, I know of a married couple, uh, they're no longer married, but I knew of a married couple, and that was a big point of contention, is that the wife wanted to be able to track her husband's cell phone, and, and that just caused all kinds of contention, because he wanted to do what he wanted to do, and didn't want his wife to know about it, and he was being unfaithful on her, and that was the reason. Let me say this, is that uh, uh, you need to make sure you eliminate sources or reasons for jealousy, and be faithful to each other, amen? Be honest with each other. Uh, but, but God is not going to be jealous over you unless you give him a reason to be jealous. Clearly, if God is jealous, then there must be someone or something that is vying for the affection which God wants inside of us. So, what is this threat? Who is this threat? Is it worthy of our attention and our affection? Is the threat that poses to God, is it worthy of our attention and our affection? Are we giving in to this flirtatious seducer that is trying to take us away from our holy God? This morning I want to give you a couple of attributes regarding... The seducer uh, that that is coming after you and trying to woo you away from your relationship with God. First, notice this. The competition is inferior. The competition is inferior. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We're done in Isaiah 43. Exodus chapter 20, if you will. Here we find the giving of the Ten Commandments. And God gives the Ten Commandments. We know that the first four of the ten uh, deal with our relationship with God. The last six deal with our relationship with our neighbor or with each other. And that's why God said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That sums up the Ten Commandments. But God prefaces the first four commandments in verse 3. Or rather, gives quite detail of the first couple of commandments in verse 3 this way. It says there, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is the tense Of the word God's there. The first letter. Is it a capital G or is it a little g? Now this is a proper noun, but it's a little g. You know why? Because these gods are inferior to your God. Look at verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy... Notice this. Capital G... God am a jealous capital G God visiting the iniquity of the Father unto the children, unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Elohim, my friend, is the God of all gods. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the King of all kings. Listen, your capital G God is an omnipotent God. He created everything by the sound of His voice. What can um, that sin that is pulling you away from, from your relationship with God, what did that create? Can I share with you what it creates? Strife, mischief, contention. God created everything with the sound of His voice. Not only is He omnipotent, but He's omniscient. That word omniscient means that He knows everything. He knows how many hairs are on your head. And He's got to count a whole lot higher for Angela than He does for me. Amen? He knows every thought. He knows the intent of your heart. The truth is, you can call up, show up to church. You can come, to, come up to my office. We can go out and get breakfast or lunch. We can meet and talk. And I can try to read you. I can spend hours talking to you. And I can maybe draw some conclusions about you you can fool me. You can fool your Sunday school teacher. You can fool your boss. You can even fool your spouse. You can't fool him. You can't fool him. He knows every sin you struggle with. He knows every motive that you have. He's omniscient. Not only is He omnipotent, not only is He omniscient, but He's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. I said this morning when I, when I walked up to the pulpit after we sang Anywhere with Jesus that God is here. God is on, on the other side of the world in China. God is in the past. God is in the future. God is not confound by time or space. He is everywhere at the same time. You know what's amazing about this? This has just always boggled my mind. And I'm glad that God boggles my mind. That means He's bigger and better than me, right? Um, When I get down on my knees... let, Let this settle in for a minute. When I get down on my knees and I repent and confess my sin, do you know that God is already present in the future when I'm going to repeat that sin? But in that present moment, He forgives me anyway. You know, if I was both present at the repentance... And then present at the mistake, I would go back to myself in the present and say, I'm not forgiving you. You're just gonna blow it in twenty minutes. You're gonna blow it in a week. I'm not your numbskull, I'm not forgiving you. That's not how God works. While God is not confounded by time, God respects time. God respects the space that we live in. In that moment that we confess, He forgives. He forgives. In that moment that we're hurting, do you know that God also exists in your future when you're joyful and you get past the hurt? But God respects the space and time in you live and He gives comfort to you in that moment of trial and pain. He's omnipresent. And I'm so glad that He is. I love what David said in the Psalms. He said in Psalm 139.80, He said, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. There's no place I can go where you're not. And I've got to say that while God, while God is a God who is a consuming fire, God is a God who is long-suffering and patient and gracious. Not only is He omnipotent, not only is He omniscient, not only is He omnipresent, but He is ever-loving. God is... God is love. He is love. I think of Pilate standing before God and he said, what is truth? To the man that is truth. And I think of those who are broken by sin and pain and they shake their fists at God and say, how could you let this happen? And I step back and say, no, 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 you got it all wrong. God is love. He is love. Love. He is the beginning and the end of it. While God is wrath and God is jealous and God is a consuming fire, on the flip side of that, God is love. And it is His love that drives home this jealousy. You see, you have a God in heaven that cannot love you any more than He loves you right now. And when you turn and run from this perfect lover, God steps back and says, what is it that they have that I don't have? They are inferior to Me. He got, everything Satan has to offer is a cheap knockoff version of God, and he tries to sell it to you, he tries to woo you away, he tries to flirt with you, and God becomes very jealous when we give in to those things. The competition is inferior. Number two, the competition is iniquitous. It is iniquitous. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24 again. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24, the Bible says, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. When thou shalt beget children and children's children, ye shall remain long in the land and shall corrupt corrupt yourselves and make a graven image or the likeness of anything. Notice this. And shall do evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke Him to anger. Corrupt yourselves. Do evil. Provoke Him. The competition is iniquitous. It's iniquitous. That word evil stands out to me as a fascinating word. We hear words like evil and iniquitous and sin and and wrongdoing and wrong, uh, evil doer and we can kind of lump them all into the same thing but do you know that they all are different levels of sin? That word evil there means this. It means pertaining to that which can harm or injure an object or person. Pertaining to that which can harm or or injure an object or person. Do you know what Satan is out to do to you? He's out to destroy you. He's out to ruin your life. You're here today, and you're married. God wants to end your marriage, or rather, Satan wants to end your marriage. You're here today, and you have children. Satan wants your children. He wants to ruin their lives. He wants to make a mock of them. You ever walked into one of these rooms, maybe a log cabin, where some hunter has all of these heads hanging on the wall of the different animals he's killed? Maybe there's a bear rug on the floor. and These are his trophies. These are his trophies. Satan wants to hang your proverbial head on the wall and say, I got that one. I got that preacher and that preacher and that preacher. I got that deacon and that deacon and that deacon. I got that layman and that layman and that layman. And boy, I wooed them away. I put out the bait. And they took it. And bam, I dropped them. And I injured. I hurt the name of God. Satan can't get to God. He can't overthrow Him. But he wants to make Him as miserable as he can. And the way he does that is by getting through through to you and me. Listen, that's why Satan's back there with his evil darts. Trying to find any chink in your armor he can to drop you. Why? Because he's iniquitous. Not only, listen, if, even if Satan had the best intentions in mind, he's inferior to God. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He can't love you. He, he can't, he, he can't, he's not all powerful. He's not ever present. But even if he had the right intentions in mind, he's not all those things, but he doesn't. Instead, he has the worst for you in mind. But you know what Satan's good at? He's good at selling you a bill of goods. Good at selling you a bill of goods. Hey, listen, you're tired, right? You're tired. Here, let me give you some rest. Watch this TV show, and it's filled with, it's filled with sexuality, it's filled with cursing, it's filled with all these evil things. And God's sitting there going, no, 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 no. Walk with me. I'll give you rest for your soul. I have this written down here in my notes. Satan is an expert at the glitz and the glamour. He's an expert at the glitz and the glamour. To use a food analogy, God has this healthy diet over here that may not taste real good, but will give you long, healthy life. Satan wants to offer you cotton candy. Oh, the cotton candy tastes good, but man cannot live on cotton candy alone, right? God says, my way is perfect. Satan says, my way is fun. God says, my way gives you long and happy life. Satan says, but you'll have a good time. Life is short. Have fun. Make no mistake about it. The sin that you are flirting with is going to deeply injure you. Deeply injure you. Proverbs 6.27, can a man take fire in his bosom? And his clothes not be burned. Number one, we see the cause of God's jealousy. Number two, the competition for our our, our uh, affection. Number three, the consequences of our unfaithfulness. The consequences of our unfaithfulness. On this topic, this is a verse you maybe have heard before. James 4:4 4, 4 says, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world, or friendship of the world, rather, is enmity." With God, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. The enemy of God. God uses some extreme words here. He calls us adulterers. Adulteresses. Are you seeing how this fits the narrative of God being jealous? Imagine, sir, if you caught your wife with another man. Imagine the rage that would be in the set in, The jealousy that would grip you. Imagine, man, if you caught your husband with another man. Oh, the anger, the hurt, the jealousy. God looks down and He sees us hanging out with the world. And and we're letting the world into our hearts. And God says, you're an adulterer. You're an adulteress. And God begins to feel that jealousy, that hurt, that anger, that disbelief. First, let's notice letter A, the Lord's fury on the seducer. Turn over with me to Nahum, chapter 1. Nahum, chapter 1. You say, Nahum's the book of the Bible. It's in the Minor Prophets there. Nahum, chapter 1. It's two books over from Jonah. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So you can find the book of Jonah, go two books to the right. Nahum, chapter 1. And Look with me at verse number 2. The Bible says, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth the Lord, revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on His adversaries, and He reserveth wrath for His enemies. There's this tank over here where God is reserving wrath to pour out like buckets on His enemies, those that are trying to lure us away. God looks at the seducer and he says, The day is coming where I will rain down my wrath upon them. Do you know what a lot of hell is going to be? God taking the seducers, the creators and pushers of sin, and pouring down his wrath upon them. That's what a lot of hell is going to be. But you know, God doesn't just wait for hell. God has a way of punishing those who are seducing even now. Letter B, we see the Lord's fury on the saved. Back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, let me read it for you. It says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. Listen to this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. And God says if you're going to serve other gods, that you hate him. You hate him. You'll let that adultery... Spiritual adultery to take over. You let that flirtation with the world and sin set in. God says that you hate Him. And God says, here's how I'm going to punish you. I'm going to visit this iniquity on you to the third and fourth generation. Now, I don't want to go too, too deep here. And I don't want to pretend to be an expert. Because I'm not. But I do believe in generational sin. I do believe that if you have a struggle deep down in your soul that you've been battling your entire life, there's a good chance that you had a grandparent or a parent that struggled with that same thing. Maybe even committed it on purpose in spite of God and that has trickled down into you. And God is visiting that onto the third and fourth generation. You say, does God not want me to have the victory? He does. He does. You're going to have to fortify yourself. You're going to have to work to have God come through you and help you. I think of a, a king in the Old Testament, King Manasseh, who was a, a king of Judah. Wicked, wicked, wicked man. Reigned, I believe, 55 years in Judah, if I'm not mistaken. And, and there, at the very end of his life, after having done all of this wickedness, and, and, and he was in the middle of being punished for his sin, he turns and out of a heart of repentance, he confesses to God and he, he, he totally comes clean on everything. and He does a total 180 on it all and God looks down on him in pity and he says, I'm not going to take it out on you, but I am going to punish two, three, four generations down. I'm going to rain that down on you. I think of another king. I believe his name was Joash who dug up the bones of those who had committed idolatry and he, he, he completely did away with all idolatry in the land. Even digging up the bones of the priests that had committed idolatry and burning their bones. And God said, I'm not going to punish your generation, but I am going to rain down wrath later. If I could appeal to you today, I want you to understand that You running around with the world on God doesn't just hurt you. It hurts your children. It hurts your grandchildren. It hurts your great grandchildren. It hurts your great great grandchildren. Don't do that. Don't do that. You say, what does God want from me, Pastor? God wants, God wants a pure heart. He wants a heart that's seeking Him. I was talking to Matthew yesterday. I took him out soul winning with me. had a great time. We got to lead a young man named Joseph to the Lord out on the street in Bridgeport. I was talking to Matthew yesterday, and I told him, I said, Matthew, we're talking about standing up for what's right when other people are doing wrong around you. How difficult that can be. I said, you know, and I shared with him some times where I did and some times where I should have and I didn't. I told him, I said, Matthew, can I tell you one thing that separated me from my friends in in, in high school? I said, I wasn't perfect. I made my share of mistakes. I said, but can I tell you one thing that separated me from my friends? My friends seemed to do wrong and seemed to not even care that they were doing wrong. When I did wrong, it hurt me right here. Because I knew I was letting down a holy God. You know, my friend, God isn't asking you to be perfect. But He is asking you to care right here. Just care. When God pokes you in the chest and says, you need to stop that. You're making every effort to do that. Number four of the sermon is this. God's compassion toward the repentant. And I'll quickly finish. Look down to verse 29 of Deuteronomy 4. The Bible says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Verse 31, For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. Not long ago, I counseled a couple who had some infidelity in their marriage. And I never, ever, ever, ever push for ramrod down the throat of couples for divorce. There are times in the Bible where God permits divorce. He permits it. And, but God is never, ever for it. Never for it. And as a counselor, I'm never for it. I will, I will permit it on the same terms God will, but I'm never for it. I watched a couple that dealt with some infidelity recently. The wife no longer wants to have anything to do with her husband. And I have to say, I understand that sentiment. But can I tell you something, my friend? God is a perfect spouse. Perfect spouse. God will never disown you. You say, Pastor, as you've preached today, and listen, this has been a tough message. I've preached hard this morning, much harder than I normally do on a Sunday morning. You say, Pastor, as you've preached today, God has pointed some things out in my life where I have not been faithful to Him. There's some movies, some TV shows, there's some, uh, there's some friends I have, there's some language I've been using, there's some things I've been doing. I have been hunky dory with sin in my life. God's pointed that out to me today. Pastor, is there hope? I'm here to tell you today that if you will turn your heart to Him, you will confess it. God will be merciful to you. God will take you right back. You know the story of Hosea and Gomer, right? Gomer was... Hosea, the prophet, married a a, a, a gal of the night, if you will. Sure enough, uh, Gomer began to run around on Hosea. Hosea had to kick her out of the house for a season, and she became enslaved through her prostitution. Hosea showed up at the selling of his wife on the block... And he bought her for way more than she was worth. And he took her and he loved her again. And God had Hosea do that to picture this. When you and I run from God in sin, God's right there waiting to buy you back. He loves you. He loves you. Some of you, you've been flirting with sin too long. It's time to get your heart right. It's time to dedicate your heart to God and don't let him be jealous on your behalf anymore. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. What a jealous God we serve. Jealous God. How many here this morning say, Pastor Lejeune, despite everything you preach today, one thing I know for certain is that I'm saved.